0: This is the Ford Theater, an hour of radio drama presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Fords, tractors, and motor coaches. To today's drama, Jules Eckert Goodman's *The Man Who Played God*.
1: side of the microphone, to all of you within the enormous orbit of this far-seeking wavelength. As a comparative newcomer in radio, I'm still a little astonished and a little frightened, too, at the idea of saying Merry Christmas to several million people at the same time. I haven't grown entirely accustomed to the central miracle of broadcasting. A voice impressed on a pulse of energy hurled to the ends of the earth, and multiplied by millions, all in a millionth of a second or so. To operate such a profound mystery for an hour of God's time involves a huge responsibility. A responsibility of which the management of the Ford Theatre, I'm happy to say, is well aware. Much time and thought goes into the selection of our plays. Our search for a suitable Christmas drama, for example, began last summer. After discarding many more conventional choices, we have found in The Man Who Played God an unusual story which is also unusually suitable to the season. This is Jules Eckert Goodman's The Man Who Played God, adapted for the miracle of radio by Claudia Clayton. story begins on an early summer afternoon in Paris. The warm June sun shines down on the children playing beside the banks of the r- River Seine, tips with gold the ancient spire of Notre Dame, and glitters on the bright brass buttons of the doorman outside the very fashionable Hotel Paris, where at this moment a crowd of students, eager servant girls, and elegantly perfumed ladies... Are jostling each other for a glimpse of the musical man of the hour in Europe, the great Montgomery Royal.
2: Hotel Paris? Monsieur Montgomery Royal? Monsieur Royal n'est pas là, madame. Mais non, il n'est pas. Mr. Royal is not in, madame. Pardon? A friend from Ohio? A moment, madame, I will ring.
3: Hello? Monsieur Royal Nipper. Oh, you talk English. How nice. An uh, advanced copy of the program for Mr. Royal's concert tonight for the Tribune-Herald? I'm sorry, but Mr. Royal doesn't have any program. Mr. Royal plays what he feels like playing when he sits down at the piano. Uh, uh, tomorrow, yes, he's going back to America tomorrow. Uh, not at all. Come in!
4: <laughs> What's the matter, Beth? You
3: sound desperate. Oh, Mrs. Miller, do come in. They've been driving me out of my mind. Well, that's the penalty you pay for
4: being secretary to a genius. But well, never mind. You'll be in God's country again a week from tomorrow. And
3: I shan't be sorry. I think Mr. Royal has done just about enough. Ten recitals in 15 days. Oh, oh, but excuse me, won't you sit down? If you can find room for me among all these letters. What are they, Battle? Love letters from adoring French women? Some ask for seats for tonight's concert. Well, oh, that's impersonal of them. Who sent those lovely flowers? Are they from adoring French women too? Miss Blair brought them. Oh. but well, where is he, anyway? Why isn't he resting for the concert? Resting? <laughs> Did you ever know Mr. Royal to rest when he ought to? <laughs> He's out, walking. With Miss Blair. On battle, I... I don't suppose Mr. Royal realizes it, but... Grace Blair's in love with him. Grace Blair is only a child, madam. A child? Grace Blair is 25 if she's a day. Her mother is one of Mr. Royal's oldest friends. That doesn't prevent
4: Grace from being 25. Oh,
3: Mr. Royal is giving her music lessons.
4: Montgomery Royal never gave anyone lessons
3: before in his life. Why did you he give her lessons? Uh, uh, may I say something uh, rather personal, Mrs. Miller? As Mr. Royal's secretary battle, you've been
4: bossing him around too long. <laughs> and Seeing me around too often to suddenly get formal with me.
3: What do you want to say? Just that if you'd had any sense, you would have married Mr. Royal yourself 20 years ago.
4: But I hadn't, Battle. So I married
3: somebody else. You're an eligible widow now.
4: Yes. Yes, I am. But there's another very good reason, Battle, why I never married Montgomery Royal. He never asked me. (laughs)
5: The Champs Elysees with the great Montgomery Royal. Wouldn't the girls at home be yellow with envy?
6: They'd be even yellower, Grace, they'd had to put up with autograph hounds like great fat flies. <laughs> it's a relief to be back at the hotel.
5: I think they've taken over the lobby. There's another one.
6: Make for the elevator, Grace.
5: What? Mr. Montgomery Royal! Oh. Oh, do tell me, Mr. Royal. You play so wonderfully. Do you have to practice the piano like other people?
6: Well. I... Oh, I
5: knew you didn't. Oh,
4: you're
6: wonderful. So glad you like me. I'm
4: Grace. I'm trying to... Excuse me, please. How do you do, Mr. Royal? You remember me, don't you? I'm Mrs. Schnitzler. I crossed on the Olympic with you ten years ago. Oh, yes,
6: of course. How do you do? It
4: is wunderbar to meet so again. Is it not so? Delightful. And is this young lady a relation, yes? It is easy to see the likeness. My granddaughter. So? But I thought you were not...
6: Married? As a matter of fact, I wasn't ten years ago. But, uh, since then, <laughs> as you see, I'm uh, so glad you like her. Uh, Make straight for the elevator, Grace. Shoot. All right. Get in, quick.
7: Mm-hmm. Phew. Safe at last. Uh, Mr. Royal, could you do me a favor? Certainly. Would you mind signing my autograph book?
6: Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Hi there, Battle. We're back. By Mildred. What a happy surprise.
4: I came to wish you luck, Marty, on tonight's... Oh.
6: Mildred, you know Grace Blair.
4: Yes, we know each other. Hello, Grace. Hello, Mrs. Miller.
6: I've been buying Grace a parting gift. So what I bought you, Grace.
5: All right. A string of pearls.
4: Aren't they beautiful? Oh, they're lovely.
6: All rich Americans buy their ladies pearls, and I couldn't be a piker with my one and only pupil, could I, Mildred? No Monty. Look at the size of them. Big as golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> $20 on the Rue de Palais Royal, And <laughs> you couldn't match them at Tiffany's in New York for twice the money. <laughs> You're to wear them tonight, Grace. For His Majesty the King.
4: King? What king, Marty?
6: I was going to keep it a surprise. Tonight's concert is a command performance. No. Yes. I've been commanded to play by a real-life king.
5: Nobody can command you. You're a king.
6: <laughs> Let us say, then, that he approached me as one king to another and asked me to give his concert that he might attend incognito.
5: Oh, Monty, how wonderful. Who is
4: he, Monty? Can you tell us his name?
6: He has at least 16 names, Grace. But I'm not allowed to tell one of them.
4: Really, Monty, you might at least have told us in advance. A real live king, imagine.
5: And I told Harold Van Allen. Who? Oh, Harold Van Allen, a boy from home. He's taking me to your concert. I told him to pick me up early. Now I won't even have time to buy myself a special Buckingham creation for his majesty. Oh,
6: this isn't an English king, Grace. English kings don't go to concerts. They only go to the races. <laughs> you might say he's one of those, uh, savage kings.
5: Well, what can I wear that's savage?
6: Nothing.
4: Oh, <laughs> Marty! don't be improper.
8: Anything you wear will look beautiful on you, my dear.
6: You're not leaving, Mildred.
4: I, uh, I have to run, Mildred.
6: Oh, but you can't go yet, Mildred. I need you.
4: You need me? Of
6: course I do. I always need your advice, Mildred, when I have an important decision to make. Uh, I want you to look at... Oh, where is it? Oh, yes, here. I want you to look at this drawing the architect sent me from New York.
4: Well, what is it?
6: A setting for church organ. What do you think of it, Mildred?
4: Oh, I think it's beautiful, Monty. There's an inscription
5: on it. To the glory of God and the memory of Margaret Ruth Royal.
6: My mother, Grace. I'm having it built in the cathedral in New York. Once you always attended. I think she would have liked it. Don't you, Mildred?
4: She would have loved it, Monty.
6: You know, she was always conscious of the vibration of the church organ in spite of her deafness. It affected her strongly. I often used to see the tears come to her eyes.
5: I didn't know your mother was dead.
6: Quite early in life, Grace. Her father, too. And his father before him. You might call it a family inheritance.
4: You worshipped your mother, didn't you?
6: If it hadn't been for her, Mildred, I suppose I'd have grown up just one of the idle rich. She believed that every man ought to earn enough money to keep him, no matter how much his father left him. My mother and I always went to church together, Grace.
5: You're really quite religious, aren't you, Monty?
6: I don't think I'm what you call religious, Grace. But I always regarded my mother and God as my two best friends. Well, now, why are you two letting me go on in this solemn fashion?
4: I really should run. You have to get some rest for tonight.
6: Good luck, Monty. See you at the concert, Mildred. a good time, Grace?
5: Heavenly, Marty. Look, everyone in the restaurant is staring at you.
6: That's because I'm with you.
5: Oh, it's because you're the one, the only Montgomery Royal. (laughs) And because tonight you're going to get the best performance of your career. I I want to drink the toast, Marty. To tonight and to you.
6: Thank you, Marty. (laughs) Oh, Grace Charles, what's the matter?
5: Say goodbye to me now, Marty. I shan't see you again.
6: Why, of course you will. I'm not going till tomorrow. But
5: I shan't see you alone.
6: Oh, there may be a king or two present, but <laughs> don't I... Don't
5: treat him like a child.
6: A child? Haven't I given you the Marie Antoinette pearl?
5: And don't make fun of me. Say goodbye. I shan't be able to follow you to New York for a whole week.
6: Won't you? Mind you, practice five hours a day.
5: I can learn more from you in five minutes than from anyone else in five years.
8: You love music, Grace, don't you?
5: I love you. I love you.
8: Don't be foolish.
6: I'm old enough to be your... Well, you know I'm your grandfather.
5: I don't care how old you are. I love you.
6: My dear, you don't. You love music. You love the successful pianist, not me. Oh,
5: at first I did, perhaps, but not now. I've seen you nearly every day for 12 months, and, and I know you, and, and I love you because you are you.
6: Everybody gets romantic in Paris.
5: Marty, don't you love me at all?
6: Of course I love you. But I'm old and easily flattered and moved by your youth and beauty and emotion. How can I help loving you?
5: Then you will. Will what? If I should come to you in six months, it will be Christmas then, Marty. If I come to you at Christmas and, and say I love you, you will marry me?
6: If you're still of the same mind and look at me with those beautiful eyes, I may not be able to resist you. <sighs>
5: Don't beat about the brush. Say yes. Yes. Oh, Mottie, darling. You and I are going to have the most beautiful Christmas in the world. so crowded. The concert was completely sold out days in advance. Did you know that? Monty's concerts are always sold out in advance, Grace. Uh, Have you heard Mr. Royal play before, Mr. Van Allen? Oh, Harold has heard Monty's entire Paris repertoire, haven't you, Harold?
9: And enjoyed every one. But I'm glad he's sailing tomorrow.
5: Harold Van Allen. Maybe
9: I might have a chance with you then.
5: Now, please don't start that again, Harold. I came here to listen to music, not
9: to... Well, there isn't any music yet. And Monsieur Montgomery Royal should be ashamed. He's late. Oh, Incidentally, uh, what are you dragging those enormous field glasses around for? Fred, you won't be able to find the stage?
5: I brought what you are pleased to call these enormous field glasses. Because I like to watch the movement of his fingers when he plays.
9: And I wish you'd
4: stop talking this way, Mildred. Night. What time is it now, Grace? Oh, uh, twenty past eight, Mildred. Oh, I do hope everything's all right. I've never known Monty to start late before. But he's probably just waiting for the king to arrive. Well, the king should have arrived 20 minutes
9: ago. Maybe he's been assassinated en route.
4: Assassinated?
9: Well, somebody did take a shot at him barely two months ago. You remember? That boy's got enemies, and they mean business.
4: Mildred, where are you going? I'm going backstage, Grace. I want to see if everything's all right with Monty. <laughs>
6: Monsieur There's no use arguing. I'm not going to keep those people waiting any longer. Say toot nonsense. That's right, Battle. Say toot nonsense. There are a million people out there pay the good money, and I won't keep them waiting, king or no king. Uh, it's be worth You're entirely right, way. sir. Thank you, Battle. What's that? A special flower for your buttonhole. A boutonniere, it's called. Boutonniere? Huh? You're making quite a dance of me, Battle. You're a genius, sir. You can wear what you like. There. Oh, don't stop that genius stuff, Baffler. It took me 20 years working eight hours a day to become a genius. If it's the manager again, tell him I'm not waiting another minute. Yes, sir. Monty. Mildred. Something wrong? Why aren't you out front with Grace? Everything's fine, only it's it's so late. Oh, that. We're waiting for his late majesty.
4: I thought you might have been taken suddenly ill or something.
6: Me? Ill? Oh, but you're darling to worry about me.
4: Well, I was anxious. I know how nervous you are before you play.
6: Do you? How did you know that? Well, I... (laughs) It's strange that you should know that, Mildred. I am deadly nervous always. But I thought that was my secret.
4: I've always known it, Morty. And suffered with you.
6: It's not fair that you should suffer, Mildred. Because you get none of the compensating glory.
4: Don't you think I glory in your success?
6: Thank you, my dear. And now hurry around or you'll miss my first song and dance. I've only half the nervousness. Now that I know you're sharing it with me. are playing and they still want more. What is it about women at concerts battle that makes them want to rip the buttons off your coat?
3: You should have taken at least one more curtain call, Mr. Royal. They're still applauding. Oh, no,
6: I couldn't. I was beginning to feel too much like a fool bowing and smirking. Don't let anyone in except my personal friend's battle. And then get behind the piano and shoot anybody who says maestro. <laughs> Marty, let us in. It's
4: Mildred and Grace.
6: Come on in, quick. Hurry, Grace.
5: Marty, this is Harold Van Allen. He's been helping me applaud.
6: Hello, Van Allen. She didn't need any help.
4: You were wonderful, Marty.
6: Was I? Eight hours a day? <laughs> well, I let you off with five. So
4: the king didn't come after all. He'll live to regret this.
6: Thank you, my dear. Are
4: you satisfied with your glory? Are you? No more nervousness. Till next
6: time. Bless you. No one else, Battle.
3: Mr. Royal never
6: sees anyone. Battle, who the devil's at the door? Get rid of
8: him. His Royal Majesty, the King. Mm. So it later. I... Hey, Your Majesty, Maestro. We regret that we could not attend the performance to which we had looked forward with such eagerness. Unfortunately, matters of uh, security. I understand fully, Your Majesty. As the head of a nation, we are not always free to choose our entertainment. At the time, we should most enjoy it. But as one man to another, Monsieur Royal, I would give my ears to hear you play once more the Moonlight (laughs) Sonata. Would you? Well, then, if your Majesty
6: will merely lend his ears, he can hear it right now. Battle, a chair for his Majesty. Thank you, Battle, your Majesty. (laughs) Oh, Monty, don't touch him!
9: Get back! Everyone! Good Lord. He picked it up and threw it back out the window. Monty.
8: Oh, Monty, you might have been killed. Monsieur Roy, you know that grenade was meant for me. What? What? You have saved my life, Monsieur Roy. You have saved us all.
6: I can tell by the look on your face. But you are thanking me. But your majesty must forgive me. I am quite... quite deaf.
1: explosion and the tragic end of a career, our first act curtain falls. Before we resume the story of Montgomery Royal on another continent and in a mood much changed, a word on behalf of the Ford Motor Company by Kenneth Banghart. This is the quiet season of the year for most of America's
0: farmers. The crops have been harvested, the silos and corn cribs are full, the grain elevators are overflowing, and many fields are blanketed with snow. But a farmer's work is never really finished. He has to care for his stock, make repairs around the place, and get ready for spring. Already, farmers are planning their work and crops for next year, preparing to carry on the huge job of feeding untold millions who depend on them. And farmers everywhere in America will be helped in that work by two outstanding products of the Ford Motor Company, Ford trucks and Ford tractors. From the rich black soil of Louisiana to the wide and fertile plains of Minnesota, Ford trucks and Ford tractors are devoting their great strength to countless farm jobs and doing them dependably, quickly, and economically. At this very moment, Ford trucks are carrying farmers' crops to market and bringing back the things they need. Hauling stock feed, firewood, fence posts, machinery, and a thousand other things. Because of its proven ability and economy, the Ford truck is as indispensable to the modern farmer as the horse and wagon was to his grandfather. At this season... Ford tractors are probably not as busy as they will be in a few months, but many of them will be out tomorrow hauling fodder, grinding feed, clearing roads, and running power saws. Soon they'll be pulling plows, then harrows, then drills and other seeding machines, and finally operating harvesting equipment and thrashers. Since its founding, the Ford Motor Company has been building tractors and constantly improving them. Today, the Ford tractor, because of its tremendous strength, versatility, dependability, and low cost, contributes much to making American farmers the best and most productive in the world. In many years of outstanding service to many owners, these trucks and tractors have proven themselves worthy of the name Ford. The second act of the man who played God will be heard after a brief pause for station identification.
1: Theater, The Man Who Played God, Act Two. It is two weeks now since the explosion of a hand grenade deafened the famous concert pianist, Montgomery Royal. It is clear that his deafness, partly the result of a family affliction, is permanent. Royal has returned to New York, to his penthouse apartment overlooking Central Park. And once there, he has refused to see any of his old friends. Mildred Miller, in love with him secretly for the past 20 years, finally calls to see him.
4: I swore I wouldn't force myself on him until he sent for me, Battle, but afraid my pride gave out. How is he? Has has he asked for me at all?
3: He speaks of you often, Mrs. Miller. He he misses you. But not enough to send for me. Not enough to answer my letters. He uh, sees Grace. Uh, Mr. Royal, he's not his old self, madam. He's... He's not well. What do you mean, not well? Well, he's moody, melancholy. He has frequent fits of temper. Fits of uncontrollable temper. Temper? Monty? But that's not like him. There must be something he can do about it. There is, but Mr. Royal will not have it. What's that? Lip reading. Lip reading? For Monty? Oh, how terrible. Mr. Royal's hearing is gone forever. I know that. And unless something is done now to bring him out of the... well, the bitterness into which he has slipped, the doctor's afraid he... Well, you'll not be able to answer for the future.
6: Grace, my dear, it's very sweet of you to visit me so faithfully. But I know this is an ordeal for you. Why don't you go?
5: I want you to play for me, Monty. Do you understand... I want you to play
6: for me. You must write, write, write. cannot understand even you. Uh, I'll
5: write it. I want you to play for me.
6: Let me see. No. How can you ask that? Can't you realize what it means to me to play and not to hear a sound?
5: Beethoven. Write it. Uh, Beethoven was deaf?
6: I'm not Beethoven. I'm not a composer. I love the music of others. There's not enough for me to have music in my soul. I want to hear, to hear. Oh, my! Don't be kind to me, Grace. They're very sweet, very kind, but I'm not worth it. Go away. Go back to the world of real people. There's
5: someone at the door.
6: What? What are you, what are you saying? Oh,
5: Someone at the door, knocking.
6: It's Battle. Why does he do it? When will he remember? I can't... Come in, Battle. What is it? Write it down. Yes,
3: sir. Mrs. Miller is here... Is here with,
6: with a lip breathing... Teacher.
3: He is highly recommended.
6: Uh, he, he is... Tell him uh, to highly... get out. Tell everyone to get out. You two Grace. I don't want anybody standing around pitting me. And no more messages battle, Food and water at mealtimes. That's all I need. I'm just... An animal. No.
5: have to run, Harold. I'm awfully late. Well,
9: you can surely spare five minutes to walk in the park. Royal won't mind. You've been seeing him faithfully every day for four months.
5: Harold Van Allen, how did you know that I...
9: Grace, how long is this going on? What do you mean? You and Royal.
5: I don't know what you mean, Harold, but Marty and I are going to be married next month. If you'll still have me. You
9: can't do it, Grace. Now,
5: really, Harold, you're being quite important. Well, you can
9: glare at me all you want to, Grace, but you can't tie yourself to a deaf man, old That's enough. That's no concern of yours. Well, anyway, we won't have to talk about him in Palm Beach. Palm Beach?
5: Harold Van Allen, you didn't wangle an invitation from the Chittendons just because I got one.
9: <laughs> They're my friends, too, you know.
5: Well, of all the, really?
9: <laughs> Grace, will you do me one big favor?
5: What
9: is it? giving his farewell concert of the season at Carnegie Hall this afternoon. Will you come with me? As a sort of pre-holiday holiday.
5: I don't think I'd better. You're
9: crazy about him, Grace. You, you told me so yourself.
5: Oh, Rubinstein's a magnificent pianist, but...
9: Come on, Grace. It won't do any harm to anybody.
5: No. It won't do any harm to anybody. I'd love to, Harold. Will you get me a taxi? I have to go home.
9: But I thought you were going up to see Royal.
5: I will later, but... First, I want to go home and get my glasses. You remember my field glasses? I want to see the movement of his fingers.
6: Now, Mr. Royal, I'm going to give you what we call our final test. Yes? I'm going to place my fingers almost over my lips and see if you can read what I say. Go ahead.
3: From that window, I can see the people walking in
6: Central Park. What did I say? From that window, I can see the people walking in Central Park. Good. How did you get that? Mainly from the muscles of your throat and jaw. Well done. Try again. The leaves are turning, the sun is shining, and God's in his heaven. Now. The leaves are turning, the sun is shining, and cards in his heaven. Splendid. You're a fine pupil, Mr. Royal. You've been studying with me for less than five months and you've learned all I can teach you. I won't have to come here anymore. I shall be sorry to lose you. Impress on your friends not to try to help you by mouthing their words. If they do that, your understanding will always be ahead of their words and that will uh, irritate you. I don't allow visitors. Oh, that's a pity. You should. Goodbye. Goodbye and thank you.
2: Can read your lips.
5: Hello, Battle. How's Mister Royal's lesson going today?
3: He's had his last lesson, Miss Blair. He was what you might call uh, graduated
6: today. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Tell him I'm here, will you? Is someone out there battle? Who are you talking to there behind my back? Oh, I'm sorry, sir, but I... Everybody have... talks behind my back. Why don't you come straight in so that I know you're there? What do you want? Who's out there? Show me in.
5: I am in, darling. Oh. <laughs> Did you give up hope of my ever coming today money?
6: What kept you, Grace? Oh, nothing
5: important. Just, just something I'd forgotten to get at home. Anyway, I, I think you see too much of me.
6: You know I live only for the moments. When you come, Grace.
5: Well, you shouldn't say such things, Marty. It makes it very hard for me to say goodbye. Goodbye? You haven't forgotten, darling. The Chittenden's, Palm Beach. Oh, I feel mean at leaving you, Marty, but I promised Alice Chittenden way back in Paris... It's a
6: are to go. Change will do you good.
5: You're sweet, Marty. Will you promise not to miss me? No. Will you promise not to let yourself get depressed and ill-tempered? no. Monty, do you remember how long it is since Paris?
6: A hundred years.
5: It's five months. When I come back from Palm Beach, my six months probation will be up, and then do you remember that promise? What promise? Oh, don't pretend. You know you promised that if I came to you in six months... What are you carrying I...
6: those glasses for? Going to the races in November?
5: Uh, I've, of course not, silly. We... I, um... Marty, you know how I love the piano, and we're... uh, I'm going to Rubenstein's concert. Do you mind? Mind? It's the first recital I've been to since yours. If you don't want me to go, I won't, Marty. I'll stay here with you
6: instead. Don't talk nonsense. Of course you'll go. Is... anyone else going with you?
5: No, well, yes, I think Harold Van Allen's going to be there. He told me. I, I ran into him a little while ago, and he, he said he'd seen me.
6: Van Allen's a good friend of the Chittenden's, isn't he?
5: Harold? Well, yes, come to think of it, he is. Why?
6: Van Allen is going to be there, isn't
5: he? I don't know what gives you those powers of divination suddenly. I, I shouldn't be surprised if he is. After all... He's a friend of theirs. Grace,
6: you know if you turn your head away, I can't tell what you're saying.
5: I'm terribly late, Marty. I I really have to watch now.
6: You're forgetting your glasses. Oh,
5: dear.
6: You want to watch his fingering, Grace, remember? The way you used to watch mine. No, Marty. I won't take them. Of course you will.
5: I won't. I can't. I couldn't stand it.
3: Mrs. Miller is outside again, sir. Will you see her this time? No. Yes.
6: I should like to see her.
3: Will you come in, Mrs. Miller? How do I speak to him, Battle?
4: Do I speak loud or slow or how? Speak
6: naturally, that's all. I can understand you. Monty, you you heard me. No, I didn't hear you. I read your lips. Welcome to my den, my dear. (laughs) The lion's den, you know.
4: Thank you, Monty. Oh, it's so... I thought I'd find you so different. Why'd you cry? Because I'm so happy you... You You've hardly changed a bit, Monty.
6: Yes, I am changed. You know I'm changed, Mildred. But I'm glad you've come. I've often wished I could talk to you during these five long months.
4: You didn't answer my letters.
6: I knew you only wrote because you were sorry for
4: me. You know that's not true.
6: Anyway, I can talk to you now. Do you know this book, Mildred?
4: What? It's a Bible.
6: My mother's Bible. I want to ask you a question. Will you answer me?
4: Of course I will.
6: Do you believe in God? Yes. I've been reading the Bible lately. Listen to this. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Do you believe that? Yes. If he knows everything, then why does he let such horrible things happen? He must be a cruel god, and I hate him. Monty. Why has he done this thing to me? I loved my music. It was a sacred thing. I didn't accept it blindly. I was thankful for it every minute. And now look what he does. He snatches it all away from me and leaves me a barren life. Oh, no. I never did harm to one of his creatures. Never even wished harm to anyone. I'd have been willing to give up everything else if he had just left me my music. Withdrawing my promise for the church organ, but Monty, because I won't why? be a hypocrite. He struck at me. He struck at my mother. Why should I glorify his name?
4: Perhaps someday you'll learn why. I can't believe that he
6: makes mistakes. The Bible's a great book, Mildred, a great book. And I'll tell you what it has taught me. There is no God.
4: Monty, you've been alone too long. You've shut yourself away from the world and brooded about your affliction. Do you know where this will lead you? Yes, to madness.
6: Thank you for coming, Mildred.
4: You want me to go? Goodbye, Monty.
6: And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair was grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. I can't stand it! I can't stand it! To hear no sound, no sound! Mr. Royal, have this thing taken away.
3: Your piano, I sir. I can't bear the sight of it, and this, this. What are you going to do with your violin, sir? My violin. We'll never play again. You've broken your
6: violin. <laughs> we'll never play again. Oh.
8: oh. That was foolish of me.
3: You've always loved your violin, Mr. Royal. You said it gave you peace.
6: Yes. Yes, I did. Didn't I? We played a lot together, you and I. We've known beauty and peace. Why did I do that, old friend? I've taken your life. Taken your... Battle. How many floors up are we? Why, uh,
3: 20, of course, Mr. Royal. Twenty floors.
6: Madeline, I want you to leave me now. I want to be alone for a little while. Of course, sir. Twenty floors. There is a fascination about height. I don't wonder that people give way to a sudden impulse. Mr. Royal, don't, 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 Mr. Royal. Mr. Royal, let go, please, please, go, go me. Let me, you fool. Oh. Why did you stop me? Why did you stop me? I've got nothing left to live for. You can live for those who love you. I'm a burden to those who love me. You
3: think I'm blind as well as deaf? Not blind, sir, but cowardly. What did you say? You've never had to test yourself before. The time came now and you you couldn't face it. Test myself? I'm not talking about music now. I'm talking about life. You've always had everything. Wealth, talent, social position, but you, you've never really suffered. A man who has never suffered has never lived. This isn't suffering. This is living death. You're thinking only of yourself and it's cowardly of you. You're a gentleman. You ought to set an example of courage to other unhappy people not to turn tail and sneak out of the world. You're a coward, sir.
6: Thank you, Battle. I know it took courage to say what you did. And you're right. It is a lot easier to die than to
3: live. There's so much beauty in the world, Mr. Royal. Look outside your window. Here, take these glasses. Look at the park. Look at the trees, the changing leaves. Nature is so beautiful.
6: Nature may be beautiful, but her workings are cruel. These glasses show me nothing that I didn't know was there. Park benches and beggars. Hunger under the changing leaves. It's absurd to believe in a method, a plan, a guiding hand. It's absurd to believe in a merciful God. Don't forget there's joy and happiness,
3: too. You can't have it all one way, sir. It's contrast that makes life so
6: beautiful. And sickness?
7: Does that make life beautiful, too?
6: In that case, there's one of life's beauties now. Just a young lad, too. His girl. No, it's his wife. I see a wedding ring. She's saying... These are very strong lenses, Battle. I can read their lips. She's saying... Sit down here, honey. We'll sit on this bench a while. You
2: look tired.
7: I'm all right.
2: Now, what did the doctor say?
7: Oh, nothing much.
2: Now, oh, don't start that nothing much stuff, Peter Henderson. What did the doctor say?
7: Well, he examined me and... oh, well, you know how doctors are. They have to say something during the living.
2: Peter Henry Henderson, you tell me what the doctor said this instant. What did he tell you?
7: He said... I have to leave New York.
2: Leave New York?
7: He said I'll never get cured as long as I stay in New York. I I have to go someplace where it's warm, he said, and stay for about a year to rest. A, a whole year? I told you he didn't say anything much. It'll cost two thousand dollars at least to rest the way he wants me to. We haven't got more than about twenty dollars right now.
2: Two thousand dollars? And if you don't
7: get it, you die. Oh, come on now, honey. It's not as bad as all that. I'm
2: not going
7: to let you die. Hey, baby. <laughs> honey, who's dying? I'm not going to die. Why, I love you too much. Do you think I'd go up with Pinky Mullins still saving that wedding ring he bought when he thought you'd say yes? Oh, sure. Don't you see? It wouldn't be practical for me. To... Hey, wh- wh- what are you doing? What are you getting on your knees for?
2: I want you to pray with me, Peter.
7: No, Out
2: here? Yes. Out here. Maybe God won't listen to me up there. We haven't been exactly corresponding lately. But... But I'm going to take this.
3: Last
6: chance. Battle.
3: Yes, sir? Where's my pen? Right here, sir.
6: Oh, yes. I want you to deliver a note. Uh... Take the glasses, Batlin. Look out toward the park. Yes, sir. You see two young people sitting on the park bench? Yes. Good. Take this note to the young man as fast as you can.
3: To that young man, sir?
6: Yes, and Battle. Not one word about me.
2: It's getting too cold for you in the park, honey. We better go.
7: Okay, guess we'd better. My arm, Mrs. Henderson. <laughs> Peter. Um, I beg
3: your pardon, sir.
7: Hmm?
3: Me? I have a note for you, sir. Do you see anybody behind me, honey?
2: He's talking to you.
3: I have a note for you. But you, you don't know me. You never saw me before in your life. Will you be good enough to read it?
7: Well, well, sure. Sure, if you want me to.
2: Oh. What is it, honey?
7: Listen to this. If you will give the bearer your name and address, the writer who has overheard your conversation will take pleasure in sending you the $2,000 you need. Am I dreaming? Somebody heard us. Well, it's impossible there wasn't anybody around. There couldn't have been. Uh, uh, Who
2: wrote this note, mister?
3: I am not at liberty to say, madam. I would be grateful for your address,
7: sir. But uh, I don't get it. Uh, uh, Should I, honey? Yes. Well, it's it's 55 Young Street, but I'd like to know whom... Whom you are to thank?
3: Well, then, let's say it was a man who, for the moment, played God. Yes. Yes, if I were you, I should thank God for it.
6: He
2: heard us, honey. We prayed and he
6: mm. heard, heard us. Heard us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was God who heard them. At last, I've got a good joke on him. I wonder has he a laugh on me <laughs>
1: The answer to Royal's question lies in Act 3, just ahead. If we could send each of you a combined Christmas card and prospectus for the new year, it might read something like this.
0: Next week, Father, Dear Father.
1: Our second Ford Theater original. A comedy written especially for this playhouse by Therese Lewis and Irving Pincus.
0: On January the 4th, The Adventure of the Bad Boy. An exciting mystery drama by
1: Ellery Queen. On January the 11th, Storm in a Teacup. ...based on the prize-winning English movie comedy by James Bridie.
0: On January the 18th, Girl Crazy.
1: Our first musical play of the new year. The music, of course, is by George Gershwin. On January the 25th, Arsenic and Old Lace. A rare combination of comedy and murder... first produced on Broadway, if memory serves, by your present correspondent... ...with some help from a man named Krause and a horde of angels. Well, as you can see, the coming weeks bring many gifts... We now proceed with The Man Who Played God. This is Act Three. And we return to Montgomery Royal. One month after he has discovered that with a pair of strong binoculars, he can read the lips of passers-by in the park below his apartment window. It's the day before Christmas now, and a silvery flurry of snow is drifting across the park as Royal goes about a pleasant task of wrapping children's toys in the gay tinsel of Christmas.
6: God rest you merry gentlemen, man, a thing you dismay, for Christ the Lord our Savior was born. All right, Battle,
3: come and get em. Another batch already? Oh, you're wrapping faster by the minute, Mr. Royal. The children have to get their toys before midnight, Battle. How'd the last load go? The children were ecstatic, sir. Oh, I almost wish I was wearing a white beard when I was handing them out. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty you weren't. Isn't it a wonderful day, Battle? It's a wonderful, wonderful day. Yeah, Miss Blair is coming home today, isn't she?
6: And it's almost too good to be true. Wait until she sees the change in me. Wait until she finds I'm going out. Going out? A surprise battle. <laughs> you thought I'd stay shut up here the way I've been the last six months. It's all over, Battle. Life and I are friends again. I'm going out tonight with her. With Miss Blair, sir? With Grace. My first trip into the new world. Do you know where we'll go first, Battle? Where, sir? We'll go into every toy shop we can find. We'll watch the children peering into the shop windows. Remember, Battle, when you used to stand outside a toy shop with your face pressed against the window pane? Hmm. There was a little brown velvet bear with red glass eyes. We'll give them their little velvet bears, Battle, and their dump trucks and their yellow-haired dolls. We'll stand inside the shop, you and Grace and I. And I'll read their lips. Then you'll take the toys out to them. <laughs> you see, you still have to do the hard work, Battle. It's a great work, Mr. Royal. Oh, no, not great, Battle. It's a lark, just a lark. By the way, what about that young couple who was supposed
3: to get married today? Oh, the ones who made that unfortunate investment? Oh, that was pretty bad, sir. No trace has been found of the man who cheated them, and those poor children had even put in what little cash they'd received in
6: wedding gifts. You gave them the check, didn't you?
3: I'm giving it to them today. Meeting them at the same bench you first. Oh, oh! As a matter of fact, I better run. They're due there any minute. Well, you better hurry. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, yes, sir. What are you all dressed up for? I'm to be best man at their wedding. <laughs>
6: Your pardon, oh, madam?
4: Battle, you almost ran me down.
3: Where's the fire? Oh, Mrs. Miller, excuse me. I didn't see you. I was hurrying to the park. Another customer? The young engaged couple. Oh, yes, you told me. How is he today, Battle? Fine, madam. Happy as a lot. He is? Miss Blair is coming back today. Oh. Well, is, uh, is something wrong, Mrs. Miller? You look uh, worried.
4: No, Battle, nothing's wrong, exactly. I just hope she isn't going to hurt him.
3: Uh, what do you mean, madam?
4: Well, it's nothing, really. You know how people will gossip whenever two young people are together.
3: I see. Well, fortunately, Mr. Royal doesn't get out among gossip.
4: Oh, maybe everything's going to be all right after all, Battle. You'd better hurry. You'll miss your young couple. I'll announce myself.
6: Mildred. Wonderful to see you.
4: I'm here on business, Monty. Business? Well, you haven't been very sociable the last few months, you know. So I'm here today only as a messenger from Bishop Graham. He wants to thank you for the organ in person. There's no need to thank me. Make... Make me happy for the church to have it.
6: But, Mildred, if I've seemed unsociable to you the last few
4: I'm months. I'm not reproaching you. I I was just joking.
6: No, you're very right. But things are going to be different from now on, Mildred. They're going to be very
4: What are you looking at, Marty?
6: Take these glasses, Mildred. What do you see?
4: Young boy and girls sitting on a bench. The girl's very pretty.
6: Uh, let me have those glasses a minute. Battle's late. I told him to hurry. Oh, there he is now. He's... Oh, no. What's the matter? He's playing the heavy father again. He's giving him that don't-you-think-you-were-foolish routine.
4: <laughs> oh, you know you love it. <laughs> well,
6: I know what he's doing. She's a pretty girl. He's done it. He's done it. I knew he would. Done what? Kiss the bride. He always <laughs> oh. does.
4: <laughs> oh, Monty, that's... Something absolutely sublime about this.
6: Only business of its kind on earth. Absolute monopoly. Congress will be after me soon for running a trust. (laughs) Mildred, I've learned things up here with the stars. Things I never dreamed of. What things? The doubts and fears are only shadows. For long months I shut my eyes, and in the darkness I railed against God. I cursed and hated and cried out in defiance. When my hatred was bitterest, he replied and sent me these.
4: A pair of glasses?
6: Almost symbolic, isn't it? I look down from my perch among the stars and I read the lips of the people below. I hear the despairing cry of those who suffer in doubt as I suffered and doubted.
4: And you answer their call?
6: Yes, I take a hand. You see, I'm so close to God here that he's taken me into partnership. Now... Don't let me get solemn about myself. Let's see if there are any more customers down there. Ah. Here's an attractive young pair. Mildred. What is it, Marty? Why, it's Grace. Grace is on her way here to me. And young Van Allen is accompanying her.
4: Grace and Harold Van Allen?
6: <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're telling silly jokes. He just said... <laughs> What's worse than finding a worm in an apple? And she's saying... Oh, Harold, anyone, anyone knows, knows
5: that? that? Finding, Finding half a worm. <laughs> 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 Harold, you do know the stupidest jokes of all.
6: That's because I'm a stupid boy. <laughs> but
9: I have one redeeming trait. I'm smart enough to love you.
5: Harold, I told you at Palm Beach it was all over. Why did you have to follow me to his very door?
9: Because I love you.
5: You're not to say that again. You, you have no right to say that to me at all.
9: Well, you have no right to throw your whole life away because of a silly promise...
5: I threw myself at him when he was well and famous. I can't go back on him now. Why did you have to come down to Palm Beach? I I should have been all right if you'd only stayed away.
9: isn't it better to have found it out now?
5: No, it's not better. I can't leave him like this. You're leaving me. Your future's brilliant with promise. His is
9: dark and empty. Grace, I can't let you do this. Now that I know you love me, why... You do love me, don't you?
5: You know I do.
9: Well, you're only going through with it because you're sorry for him. You can't destroy your happiness and mine because of pity. Tell him you've changed your mind.
5: No use, Harold.
9: You're going to marry him?
5: Yes. Goodbye, Harold. Oh, don't follow me. I love you, but I'm going to leave you. (laughs)
4: Monty, Monty, what's the matter? You. He looked ill.
6: You knew this? You what? That she loved him all the time? Well,
4: they. I, I wasn't sure. But they. They're both young. Yes.
6: And... They're both young. I've been very foolish. But she was always so. dear to me.
4: I'm so sorry, Monty.
6: I wonder what God would do in a case like this. Monty.
4: Bishop Graham asked whether you'd consent to play the organ for tonight's services. The organ? The organ you gave to the cathedral. Bishop Graham thinks it would mean so much to the congregation if you were the first to play it. No. But this is Christmas Eve, No, no.
6: I couldn't stand it. Please, excuse me, Mildred. I want to be alone.
4: Of course. Goodbye, Monty. I... I won't ever force myself on you again.
5: There you are, Marty.
6: Hello, Grace.
5: Oh, it's wonderful to see you again, Marty. You might tell me you missed me.
6: I miss you, Grace. I miss you very much. Miss?
5: Silly past tense. I'm back now. And I'm here to hold you to your promise. My promise? Christmas Eve, Marty. My probation period's over. Oh, now, don't pretend you've forgotten our compact. If I came to you in six months and told you... I'm I love... going to
6: break my word, Grace. Break your word? I'm asking you to release me from my promise.
5: But, Monty, I don't understand. Is it anything I... Did you hear anything to hurt you?
6: You could never hurt me, Grace. You're too good.
5: Then what is it? Don't you love me anymore?
6: I shall always love you, Grace. The way the Earth loves the sun. Each spins in its own orbit. With the Earth to swing into the pathways of the sun would only meet with disaster. It was music that brought us together. You know that, don't you? Yes. Our love was music. But you see, a string has snapped and the music has ended.
5: Not altogether, Monty. Oh, I do love you. I do love you. You will always be my idol.
6: I shall always be your friend. Now, hurry, my dear. It's Christmas Eve, and you mustn't keep your friends waiting. <laughs>
8: quite understand, Mrs. Miller, but it's a pity. It's a beautiful organ, and it would have meant a great deal to us to have had Montgomery Royal himself be the first to play.
4: It. It's painful for him to, to be near a musical instrument since his accident, Bishop.
8: It must be very hard. You couldn't persuade him at least to come tonight, his first Christmas Eve at home?
4: He hasn't been inside a church since it happened. It would be useless to try.
8: I see. <laughs> then I i wonder who that man is coming toward us now.
6: Marty.
7: Am I
8: too late, Bishop Graham? You are just in time, my son.
4: We've been waiting for you, Marty.
6: Takes a long time to learn that a man cannot
8: play God. <clears throat> we uh, <clears throat> we are just about to start the processional, Mr. Royal. Uh, Would you care to, if I may?
4: Monty, you will play?
6: For a king...
1: In the 1932 movie version of The Man Who Played God, Montgomery Royal was played by George Arliss. Today's Royal was played by Santos Ortega, one of radio's best-known and best-liked actors, a veteran of 17 years and more than 2,000 character roles before the microphone. You may know him as Dr. Carvel in Big Sister or as the present radio incarnation of Charlie Chan. Grace, Betty Davis in the movie version was played by Amsey Strickland, who has just concluded a long radio run as Asenath in The Light of the World. Next week, Father, Dear Father, an original comedy containing a highly original character, the great and gay Benji Whitehurst, who came home broke, but hardly broken-hearted. The Man Who Played God
0: was adapted for radio by Claudia Clayton, edited by Howard Teichman, with continuity by George Faulkner. The musical score was written and conducted by Lynn Murray, and the entire production was under the direction of George Zachary. Mildred Miller was played by Ann Seymour. The other players today were Warren Bryan, Mitzi Gould, Edwin Jerome, Gene Leonard, Helen Lewis, Guy Spall, and Frank Thomas. According to the calendar, there are just three more shopping days. Three days of preparation and anticipation. Days filled with decorations, gaily wrapped packages, trees and lights, good things cooking, and friendly good wishes. Then it will be the day, the most pleasant holiday of all. And the 130,000 men and women who make up the Ford Motor Company would like to add their greetings to the many you will be receiving. May your family be happy happy your home warm and cheerful. May the tree be bright, the company jolly, the gifts exciting, and the enjoyment great. From all of us to all of you, Merry Christmas. Who Played God, based upon the stage play by Jules Eckert Goodman, was presented through the joint courtesies of Paramount Pictures Incorporated, whose recent production is Golden Earrings, starring Ray Milan and Marlena Dietrich, and of Warner Brothers Pictures Incorporated, producers of the current My Wild Irish Rose, starring Dennis Morgan. The Ford Theater is presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Ford Victory and Lincoln cars and Ford trucks, tractors, and motor coaches.